Well, good morning, Zoe. Again, my name is Brent Silkey, and I want to just introduce to you my very best friend in the entire world, my bride, my best friend, Elizabeth Aliza Silkey. Um, she is the most Christ-like person that I've ever known, and she's the person that helps me become more like who Jesus made me to be, and I'm, I'm thankful for her. This June, we'll celebrate 12 years of marriage, which is crazy. We hit a dozen. That's awesome. And God has richly blessed our life with uh, these three beautiful kiddos. I want to introduce them to you as well. Aww. We have Belle Sophia, my eight-year-old, Clara Jean, who is my five-year-old, and Henry David, who's 22 months old. I can't believe I'm saying he's 22 months old. And they're the joys of our life. We love them so much. And uh, we have the, the privilege of serving college students um, in, in the city of St. Paul at a couple of different universities in a ministry called Chi Alpha. And this is a, a picture of our, uh, after our fall retreat, we actually had Micah Mack and Steph uh, come in and share and speak to our students. And this is a family that's developing on campus. If you're not familiar with Chi Alpha Campus Ministries, we exist to help students find Jesus and follow him for a lifetime. For the last five years, we've been Chi Alpha missionaries serving students in the city of St. Paul, and it is an absolute joy to see what God is doing in their lives. We've had the honor of praying with 120 students over the last four years in St. Paul to, to say, I need the hope of Jesus. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And we're so proud of what God is doing and so proud of our students. And I know some of them are tuning in from their dorms even right now. So I just want to say a shout out to you, Chi Alpha. And we also uh, have a passion to fight human trafficking and sex trafficking. So there's a picture of 30 for Freedom. This is last year, our Twin Cities chapter. We had over 1,000 people last year at all of our chapters combined. And in the last four years, we've seen over $630,000 raised to go to, to sex trafficking prevention, rescue operations, and holistic survivor care. And I'm really proud. We have an amazing board that works for 30 for Freedom. And we all work on a volunteer basis so that every single dollar that's given can go directly to the cause. So that's a little bit of the heartbeat of who we are right now. But before we jump into the message, I wanted to give you, I feel like I know Zoe so well. I, I feel like the, the staff and the pastors and the people that I know here, the families, the amazing families that are here, I just feel like so connected to Zoe. But I know that there are some people that you may not know the origin story of my life. And I think that will give us context of, of where we're headed today as it relates to both the text that we're going to look at and the response to the text. So I want to share just my origin story. I was born in Seoul, South Korea, May 28th, 1986. And I was born to an impoverished teenage kid. She wasn't married. She came from a broken home. And she was in a desperate situation when she learned she was pregnant. And I think of this, this, this poor teenage kid that found out she was pregnant. And I, I think about what she would have, was feeling, what she was experiencing. And what she did was she made the courageous decision to choose life. She went full term with her pregnancy. She decided that she was going to give her, her, her baby life, and then on the day of my birth, she had to make an impossible decision, and she chose to give me the opportunity for a different kind of life by giving me up for adoption. And if you look at my birth records, it says that my legal status was illegitimate, and my orphan status was abandoned by mother. And those are harsh words, and I, as I share my story in different settings all across the state, People say, I just so resonate with, with feeling illegitimate or in, in, inadequate or I've, I've been abandoned myself. Or I've, I've, the, the theme of it, if you sum it up in a word, my origin story is kind of hopeless. And I think that as we start today that there are people that are watching maybe all over the place that are feeling that sense of hopelessness right now. And I want you to know if you're feeling that, this is a message for you. I believe that God has brought you to this live stream, to this podcast, so that you can hear a message of hope. And on the other side of the world, there was a couple who had gotten married, 
and they tragically lost a baby with an ectopic pregnancy. The doctor came in the room and said, I'm so sorry, but you're never going to be able to have children. Their situation was also hopeless looking. But she, remi- she was reminded, this, this mom, she was reminded of a dream that God put in her heart 30 years earlier as she looked through a magazine and she flipped to the front cover to, to check out the, the cover and it was two South Korean little boys. And God put a dream in her 10-year-old heart that one day she might have kids that looked like that. So on September 5th, 1986, on my 100th day of life at the MSP airport, my life was forever changed when I went from being an illegitimate, abandoned, hopeless orphan to being adopted into a family, to being a son, to, being a part, to finding hope. Two hopeless situations that God would bring together, and he infused his hope as a family was born that day. And I was the first half of the, of the dream that God put on my mom's heart. The next November, my brother arrived from Korea as well. And so her God dream took 41 years to be fully complete. But this is our family. And that's actually a really special picture to me because this is the first time. This is literally at the gate at MSP. I came from South Korea to Seattle to here. And this is the first time that my dad, Doug Silkey, ever made me smile. And it gets me emotional thinking about the gift of adoption and the gift of life. But I want you to know that if you're experiencing hopelessness, if you feel like you've been abandoned, if you feel like you're illegitimate or there's things in your life or people speaking over your life, those things, I want you to know that you're here for a reason today. I believe that God is going to speak to you by his spirit, through his word, even through the monitor that you're watching on, that you would experience hope and life today. As we look at our text today, if you have your Bibles, if you have your version Bible app, you can go to John chapter 4. And you'll find the subheading in a lot of Bibles says the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman at the well. And just to give a little cultural context, this is the first century. And Jesus is traveling. His ministry has launched. He's traveling place to place, proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming hope, proclaiming hope to the hopeless. And he was in the southern region, and he was going to travel north to Galilee. And what Jewish people would do, there was a chunk of land in the middle called Samaria, and they would actually travel around, they'd go out of their way to travel around, because the Jewish people at that point did not want to come in contact with a Samaritan person. But it says in the beginning of of John chapter 4, he had to go through Samaria. So here we have Jesus traveling with his 12 disciples. They're uncomfortable, they're feeling awkward, they're feeling strange, they're like, Jesus, we're following you, but why are we in this crazy, strange land? And they come to a, a, a town, a small town called Sychar, and, and the disciples go off to find food, and Jesus is thirsty. And I think sometimes we forget he was fully God and fully man. So he was thirsty after this long journey. It was the heat of the day. It was, it, was, it was noon. And he comes to Jacob's well, and he sits down at the well. And this is not a time of day where most people would be coming to a well. But then all of a sudden, there's, there's this woman that comes in the distance. She gets closer and closer. And then she comes, and she's got her, her bucket, and Jesus looks at her and says, may I have a drink? Now, that's a crazy, Jesus is breaking all kinds of cultural norms. The reason I say that is because in that time period, a man would never speak to a woman in public. And not only that, Jews would never speak to a Samaritan ever. And so the fact that Jesus, not only is he a Jewish man, but he's a Jewish rabbi, he's a, he's a teacher of the religious law, is speaking to this Samaritan woman at the well is highly, highly abnormal. And so this woman comes, and they ha- start having this dialogue. And for the sake of time today, I'm gonna just going to share a, b- a bit of their conversation with you. But Jesus begins to speak to this woman, and he says, may I have a drink? And she says, why are you speaking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman, and you're a Jew, and Jews don't do that. 
And he said, if you knew who, who it was who was talking to you, if you knew who it was and the, the things that I could offer you, the living water that I could give to you. And she says, but sir, you don't even have a bucket. You don't even have a way to draw water. And he begins to explain to her about the kingdom of God. And then he gets to a point where she, where she says, well, at some point the Messiah is going to come and he's going to tell us all these things and make it clear to us. And Jesus, in an unusual fashion, stands with this woman, this Samaritan woman at this well in the heat of the day at noon. And he looks at her and he says, the one who's speaking to you is the Messiah. And he says, go call your husband. And the woman, it doesn't say this in the text, but I can imagine this woman as he says, go call your husband, looks down with shame. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus looks at her and says, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. In fact, the man that you're living with now is not your husband, and you've had five husbands before him. And she looks at him and she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. And it's this incredible back and forth conversation, this dialogue. And this woman comes face to face with the Savior of the world. Jesus changes everything. And she goes into the town. She, it says in the scriptures that she literally leaves her water jar at the well. The reason, the purpose that she came was for physical water. She left with spiritual water, springs of living water from within her. She goes into the town. And now everyone in the town would know this woman as someone who was cursed by God. Five husbands living with someone who's not her husband. They divorced her they, or her husbands had died. This was a woman of no reputation at all. And she's met with Jesus. Jesus changes everything. And they can see a difference on her countenance. They can see a different look in her eye. There's a different tone in her voice. And she goes and she says, come see a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? And it says people in her town, all, of all, this, all the Samaritans in this town are like, whoa, is this, are you serious? It says many of them believed because of her testimony. So they went out to see who is this Jesus. They went out to the well. They had these conversations with Jesus. It says that Jesus and his disciples stayed there for two full days, which I'm sure made the disciples uncomfortable because they usually don't even travel through this part of uh, this region of the country. And Jesus goes on to explain the kingdom of God. And at the very end of this section of, of John chapter 4, verse 40 through 42, it gives the account that not only did they believe because they, of the woman's testimony, they said, but now we believe because we have seen and heard him for ourselves. They came face to face with Jesus. And the big so what today, and the big so what, this whole idea of what is, what's the, the main point of this whole text, this whole message, is that Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. Not just some things, not just parts of life. He literally changes everything. For this woman who was feeling illegitimate, who was feeling abandoned, who was feeling hopeless, who was living with someone who wasn't her husband, she had five other men discard her or had passed away in her past. She came face to face with Jesus and she became this evangelist. And it says her whole town, the whole town came out and came face to face with Jesus and he changed everything. So literally this discarded woman changed the spiritual landscape of her entire town. And I want to tell you a story of two eighth grade boys. If you think of eighth grade boys and the energy level of these of eighth grade boys in general, sitting in a youth service, right? There's Pastor Hunter, you know what I'm talking about. There, there's two eighth grade boys sitting in a youth service, and they hear about Jesus. They hear about this God that came that loved so much that he came to earth for the sake of humanity, not just to be with us 
but to die for us, to take upon the sins of the world upon himself, and then to raise again on the third day, overcoming sin, overcoming the death, death, overcoming the grave for the sake of those he loved, humanity. And these eighth grade boys were sitting there in this youth service and they heard about the love of Christ and they said, they, the, the youth pastor said, what would happen if you had a friend that could know the love of Christ because Jesus changes everything? What would happen if you began to write the names down of your friends who were far from God, who were illegitimate, who were abandoned, who were far from God, who were hopeless? What would happen if you wrote their names down and just began to pray for them every day? So they wrote the name of a friend down and they began to pray. Oh God, would you have your way in his life? Would you draw him to yourself? And they began to express and share the love of Jesus with their friend. They began to invite their friend to come to youth convention in Minnesota, youth convention in camps and, and outreaches and youth group nights. And their friend was stubborn and refused to come. He said, no thanks, I'm good. So in ninth grade, they continue to pray every single day for their friend because Jesus changes everything. Prayer changes hearts, right? So ninth grade, they're thinking, oh, our friend's gonna come. They pray for him every day. They're inviting him to things. And he says again, no, I'm good. 10th grade rolls around. They're going to the high school now. Hey, would you come with us to this outreach? Would you come with us to this camp? No, I'm good. 11th grade happens, the same thing. 12th grade, surely senior year of high school. Things are about to change big time with college coming up. Surely he'll come. No, I'm good. But every day they prayed for their friend. Every day they showed the love of Jesus Christ to their friend. Every day they were continuing to be a presence in his life. And when college came, they could see that the once stable foundation their friend had stood on was becoming shaky that this, this person that was, that was so far from God, even though they went to church, even though they had a religious upbringing, was broken by his sin, was addicted, was absolutely in need of hope. And they continued to pray. They continued to show the love of Christ. And they continued to invite. And their friend, finally after six years, starting in eighth grade, in the freshman year of college now, accepted their invitation to come, sat in the very back of the auditorium, came into a room full of hundreds of students passionately seeking after God, passionately worshiping the name of Jesus, passionately going after God. And then there was a message that was preached that night. At the end of the message, the pastor got up and said, you need to know something. The love of God is for you. He is for you so much so that there's no sin you could commit. There's no evil or wrong that you could do so bad that would make God love you any less than he already does. Because he doesn't change and his love doesn't change. And the friend sat in the back and this just mind is blown. And then the second thing was said, there is no good work that you could ever do that would make God love you any more than he already does. Because you cannot earn the grace of God. You cannot earn the love of God. You cannot earn the favor of God. It comes as a gift through faith in Jesus, his son, who came to this earth to die for you, who came to this earth and rose again from the dead for you. And if you would but put your faith in him and surrender your life to him, everything would change. And I get emotional sharing the story. <laughs> because I don't know where I would be today if I didn't have two friends from eighth grade who prayed for me every day. Micah McDonald, Chris Rausch, 
I don't know where I'd be today if it wasn't for your faithful prayers. I wouldn't have the family that I have. I wouldn't be in ministry. And church, I need you to know that Jesus changes everything. He changed my life. He changed the woman at the well's life. He changed the whole town. And to think about a time in history, this is unprecedented. The fear, the panic that's happening in our world. And as Pastor Greg said, we could turn inward, but that's not what Jesus called us to do. He said, go and make disciples. Go, turn outward and look and do something and help someone. And in an unprecedented time of panic, I see this as an unprecedented time for the church to stand up and say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for those who are far from God. I'm going to pray for those who need hope. I'm going to pray for those who might feel illegitimate or abandoned or hopeless like the woman at the well. And I'm not going to give up, and I'm going to express the love of God. I'm going to have the gospel response be compassionate love. And if they need toilet paper, I'm going to go to the store and stand in the line for hours at Sam's Club or Costco and get them toilet paper. If they need help, if they are immunocompromised, I'll go shopping for them. I'll help them. But this, our world needs hope. And then the invitation. This is a crazy time where churches all over the place are not meeting in their building, but they're meeting in homes. And in the first century, when the gospel exploded, it was through the house church movement that things were happening. And I think about this time, Zoe, I think about the opportunity every single week to invite someone over, to make them brunch, to say, hey, would you come over at 9? We'll have brunch, and then we can watch, we can watch a live stream of our service. Oh, my goodness, you guys, Jesus changes everything. And I believe that this is a time when we stand as a church and we say we extend the love of Christ in prayer. We extend the love of Christ and the hand of God and say, hey, how can we help you? How can we serve you right now? And then we have the opportunity to invite people into this incredible relationship where Jesus changes everything. I trace back so much of what's happened in 30 for Freedom and ministering to sex trafficking victims and survivors to two eighth grade boys who said, I'll pray. I trace back to the ministry of Chi Alpha and all that's happened in St. Paul. 120 students we've prayed for, for two eighth grade boys, to the 10 years of student ministry we did at Cedar Valley Church, and students who came to know Jesus because of two eighth grade boys who said, hey, you believe our friend deserves to know the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus changes everything. And so church, if you would, I know it's a, it's a different experience streaming online, but if you would bow your heads wherever you are, in your living room, in your kitchen, at your dining room table, if you would just bow your heads with me as we take a moment to respond. I believe that there are people watching this live stream that you feel in your heart, you feel illegitimate, you've been abandoned, you feel hopeless, you feel scared. And this, this could be the morning where Jesus would change everything for you. And if you're ready to take a step of faith today and say, you know what, Brent, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I want to start one. Then I just want to pray with you for a moment. And if you would pray in your heart as I pray this out loud, the Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. So I want to just take a moment to pray for those this morning that want to take that step of faith. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you change everything. 
We thank you, God, that you come into the midst of the storm that we are going through, God, and you speak peace and be still. We thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And I pray for those this morning watching the live stream or those later who will listen to a podcast, oh God, that if they're ready to take a step of faith today, God, I pray that you would allow them, God, to come into your glorious presence and they would say, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you to save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that God rose you from the dead and I surrender all to you. I pray, oh God, that you would have your way and begin to transform their lives, transform their hearts those who feel illegitimate and abandoned, God, that they would be adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus. Thank you for your love for us, God. Thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much, Brad. That's a powerful story. That's a powerful story, and I think it's, although we didn't experience the adoption, every single one of us gets to experience a spiritual adoption through surrendering in Christ. And so thanks for sharing your story, Brent. If you are one of those and you, uh, and you want to respond to Christ, listen, this is a journey. It's not just a moment in time. It's beginning a new, whole new journey, a whole new family that you get to be a part of. And if, if you made that decision this morning, we want to know about it. And so I'm going to invite uh, you to email office at zchurch.org. Simply officezchurch.org. Just simply email and say, I made a decision to follow Christ. And we're going to get in contact with you this week to be able to help you on this journey of faith. We need a family together. But church, I was challenged. Like, that's a powerful story, and it's amazing to see what God has done through Brent's heart, but it all started back with a couple of stupid kids in junior high praying for somebody and saying, we're going to commit. And so there's a practical step that we get to take as followers of Christ is to get to say, okay, okay, God, who in our life, who in our life needs Christ? Who in our life doesn't know him? We know it. They need Christ. Who can we begin to pray for? And so I'm going to give a very, very specific challenge. We're four weeks away from Easter. Four weeks away from Easter. And we know that's a season where where people tend to think about spiritual things a little bit. It tends to be on people's radars. So the challenge I have for every single one of us, you may need to get a piece of paper out, and and I expect you to do that at some point if you don't do it right now, is to get a piece of paper and to ask God, who are three people I could begin to pray for. Names that I could begin to pray for. To pray two things over them. Number one, God, would you by your Holy Spirit, would you begin to work in their heart, to draw them to yourself. Begin to soften their heart. And secondly, God, would you give me the courage and the wisdom to know how I could speak life into them. It may be as simple as sharing the hope that you have in Christ. It may be as simple as an invitation sometime, an invitation uh, to your home on a Sunday to watch a stream when we're able to gather together as a church, being able to invite them to join you on a Sunday. It may be as simple as that, but to commit. Right now, it may take six years. I don't know. But my challenge right now is would we start somewhere? We would say for the next four weeks, God, leading up to Easter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose three people and I'm going to pray every day for them. That's the challenge I have for you. And I believe as we are faithful to do that, I think we're going to see God move. We're going to see him break walls down. We're going to see stories. Hold. We're going to have testimonies like Brent's. Years, maybe decades from today, we're going to see how legacies are transformed because we've decided to say, God, we're going to, we're going to engage. We can't do everything, but we can pray. God, would you help us? So that's my challenge. Before this day is over, that you would get a piece of paper, you would write those three names down. All right? God, we, we pray, the Father, that there would be a, a supernatural thing that happens in our body. 
as we begin to, to focus on those who don't know you, God. It's so easy for us to get lost into doing our normal thing, but God, I pray our hearts would be burdened with the same thing your heart is burdened for, and that's those who are far from you, God. Would you break our hearts, Lord, we pray.